This podcast is sponsored by Prime Super, straightforward superannuation solutions that empower you to grow, manage and protect your wealth and retirement income. That's Prime Super. Go to primesuper.com.au to learn more. I'm with Associate Professor Tony Smith from the Faculty of Health and Medicine at the University of Newcastle. Tony, thanks for joining us. Thank you. No worries, Connor. Um, you've been looking into, or you, uh, you researched and wrote a paper looking into the case of rural nurse practitioners in, uh, in Australia. Uh, the nurse practitioner model was introduced to address health service gaps. However, uh, its sustainability has been questioned, and you interviewed um, nurse practitioners in rural settings. What did you find? Um, yeah, look, we found that for the most part, um, the nurse practitioner role is valued and they actually make a significant contribution in those communities where they exist. But in fact, you know, on the negative side, um, there's only about 0.5% of the nursing workforce that are endorsed as nurse practitioners um, across the country and and of very small proportion of those are actually located in rural and remote areas and um, in fact uh, it was in those rural and remote areas that the idea of nurse practitioners was really born and um, the idea being to actually fill service gaps where there was a lack of um, service availability due to smaller numbers of medical practitioners and other health professionals um, so, look, for the most part, it was, a, it was you know, positive in that sense. Um, but on the other hand, we found that there were also significant barriers that prevented the implementation of the nurse practitioner role. Mm-hmm. And so, mm. yeah, you looked into, uh, I mean, the paper was looking at macro, meso and, and micro level barriers, mm. like you said. So if we, if we start with, um, you know, at the macro level, there were some legal uh, and economic barriers that you found. Yeah, yeah, and and these were significant barriers, barriers that are, I guess, very difficult to overcome because they're often legislative or regulatory in their um, in the way that they're constructed. So examples that were used by the interviewees were the uh, medical benefit schedule and the um, pharmaceutical um, benefit schedule as well, where there's limitations on who can actually do what in terms of providing services um, and the amount of income that can be generated via those um, by those benefits, by those um, uh, Medicare benefits, and um, also in the the types of medications that can be actually. Um, prescribed by nurse practitioners, and um, one of the one of the um, interviewees in in particular, I, I remember, said that um, that because of those limitations, it, it it made their role, you know, quite limited and and um, difficult to implement, and that um, you know, from the point of view of actually trying to generate some income to um, to fund the role on an ongoing basis and make it sustainable, um, that was really not possible because they were they were only able to generate a very small amount of income for their health service um, through their uh, Medicare benefits through the bulk bulk billing. Mm-hmm. So um, that that is a difficult one and hard to manage. 
Um, other things that were highlighted was uh, was the disconnect between uh, Commonwealth and and state policies. That often there was, you know, an, an incentives that existed at a Commonwealth level that, that weren't necessarily um, followed up at, at the state level in in terms of legislation and vice versa. Um, <clears throat> let me let me think of what the example might be, but. Um, in terms of prescribing, for example, the um, the types of medications that are, are able to be prescribed by nurse practitioners um, are legislated on a state-by-state -state basis. Mm -hmm. So this can vary from one state to another. So even though the, the medical benefits um, legislation exists at a Commonwealth level, um, states make decisions about what types of medications can be prescribed by um, non-medical practitioners. Um, and it seems to be, again, you know, a barrier to, to the way that these roles function. Mm -hmm. and, so, and so moving away a little bit from policy and legal uh, issues, you found that sometimes uh, attitudes and support from community or managers and, mm. and patients were, was also a barrier to, to full use of nurse practitioners. Yeah, that was that was really interesting, actually. And a lot of a lot of the interviewees had comments about the fact that um, that their communities were were supportive of the role. Um, you know, they thought it was great to actually have a an NP in their community who could actually do provide services that you know when they couldn't get. A doctor. Um, however, there was also a gap in the understanding that the community had about the roles and what sorts of services could be provided by the NPs. And um, it seems that um, there needs to be a better understanding or more promotion, greater um, transparency about what these roles actually involve so that the community can actually access these services um, you know more readily more readily and understand what what sorts of services might be available um, from NPs um, <clears throat> some of the NPs um, felt that there was um, a misunderstanding from uh, members of the community and that um, one of the NPs in particular said that he was sometimes referred to as doc um, even though he's not a doctor he's a he's a registered nurse but um, but he was um, you know the community sort of recognized that he had additional capabilities um, but they didn't really appreciate the fact that he's not a doctor, he's actually a nurse um, who's actually able to provide these extended services to um, to the community. And I think it was, that that I think is just symbolic of a, of a, of a gap in terms of the understanding and the, and the um, explanation, I guess, in the community about what, what these roles represent. Mm -hmm. As a consequence of that, as a flow on from that, it seemed that Several of the nurse practitioners were were saying that they they spent a fair bit of time just promoting their role and just trying to um, trying to explain it to people and not just the community, not just the sort of general public, if you like, the patient patient public, but also to their own 
colleagues, to health professional colleagues, be they doctors, nurses or allied health practitioners, um, <clears throat> to get them to actually appreciate where they fit in. Um, and it seems also that in some cases roles were implemented without a clear position description um, so that when nurse practitioner roles were implemented in some cases, not in all cases, but in some cases where roles were implemented, um, it was up to the incumbent, up to the person who stepped into that role as an endorsed educated nurse practitioner to then define their role, um, which seemed to be, in the view of some of the informants, a little bit back to front. Um, that you know they they sort of um, struggled with the idea that um, they had to spend a, a lot of time promoting and developing and defining their role um, and time that could perhaps have been better spent in delivering services to um, to patients in mm -hmm. rural communities who are you know obviously disadvantaged in terms of access to care. Mm -hmm. So and so the conclusion that you and your colleagues came to was that, that all of these things that we've just discussed are you know, barriers to the, the nurse practitioner model fully benefiting communities. Uh, what's the fix mm. at a, a policy or government level? <clears throat> Good question. I think that um, there needs to be... I mean, we've talked about this for a very long time, about the fact that we need to implement roles and better use our health workforce. And in some ways, in many ways, in fact, um, it's it's not so much a matter of of the distribution of healthcare practitioners in rural and remote areas that is lacking, but it's the distribution of service availability. So, trying to actually implement roles using the health workforce that we have in order to address service gaps. So, rather than you know, necessarily trying to increase the number of GPs in rural communities, what services might be provided by the existing health service workforce, which may include not just RNs, not just nurses, registered nurses, um, but also allied health practitioners in order to fill some of those gaps. <clears throat> Obviously, there's limitations in terms of what people can do, um, from their professional um, training and expertise and abilities and what have you. But I think what, one of the things that I think we, we need to do as a, as a nation, as a community as a whole, is actually try to address what these gaps are, what services are missing, if you like, from rural communities and how we might best be able to fill those gaps without necessarily saying what we need is to actually increase the number of health practitioners, which is certainly we're trying to do that and we're, and we're doing a good job of, of doing that. But I think uh, um, in the short term, and perhaps in the long term as well, um, we need to invest in ways to actually better utilise the health workforce that we have.